Today, I'm really happy to welcome on the Metaverse podcast, uh, who I hope will become a regular guest, uh, Jasper Demari, who's joined us as research lead at Outlier Ventures from Morgan Stanley, where he was working on digital assets, and we'll get to learn a little bit more about his background later. We're going to be talking about a recent paper that he published called Bitcoin Unchained, which is the new startup gold rush and really is a thesis, our thesis for Bitcoin and why we've now launched applications for a Bitcoin dedicated program. We're going to do a deep dive into that, but of course, get to know Jasper a little bit more. So without ado... Uh, let's just learn a little bit more about your background. As I said, you've joined us from Morgan Stanley. I know you were working at several other financial institutions prior to that. How did you end up in the world of, of digital assets? Yeah, thank you, Jamie. First of all, thank you for the invite. I hope this is the first of many. So maybe quick introduction from my side. As you mentioned, TradFi is, is my background, is my bread and butter. I've been looking at digital assets since... I think I got pulled in during the 2016-2017 bull run. And then obviously, as I was progressing through my career in TradFi, I always looked at digital assets with a very close eye. And then last bull cycle was very uh, fortunate to be able to convert my passion and, and, and obviously like expertise of digital assets into a more prominent position within Morgan Stanley, where I was previously. And then basically looked at research for the past two years in digital assets. And now, very recently, had had the good fortune to move on to Outlier. Two months in, very happy with this first piece. But uh, as I said, like hopefully uh, the first of many. Yeah, and actually, you know, you follow in good, good, uh, good footsteps. Uh, Lawrence Lundy, who was our last head of research, which was several years ago now, actually recently had him on the show to kind of reflect on our previous thesis uh, all the way back to the convergence thesis, and and since then, really, we've kind of created research papers in a fairly unstructured way, usually me going to the business, having lots of different conversations with founders, with SMEs or subject matter experts. So it's great now. Again, we've got somebody dedicated in that function because it's an overwhelming task, really, to cover everything that's going on in in Web3. And of course, similarly, you're kind of bringing about the knowledge that's in the network and the business, but still having somebody dedicated to that function is, I think it's going to be really important for Outlier and allow us to do uh, more more thorough, thorough research. So as I said, we're, we're kind of here to talk about uh, specifically Bitcoin. So we, we obviously are Bitcoiners. I think everyone at Outlier is a Bitcoiner. Bitcoin is the thing that's brought us all into crypto. And of course, all of its principles are around sovereignty. But it's taken us quite a while to come to the point where we're launching a dedicated program. Over the last couple of years, we have run several ecosystem pro uh, protocol uh, programs. Um, usually, because we've been approached by a protocol, it's a, a emerging protocol that we're excited by. But we are you know, generally agnostic. We just want Web3 to happen. We've always seen Bitcoin as an integral part of that. But that said, in the last 12 months, there's been um, some really exciting innovation, momentum happening, where we thought we would proactively create this dedicated program. And so one of the first tasks that you were given was to help us develop a thesis for that program, to allow us to kind of publish this thought piece, to mobilize founders, uh, to come to Outlier, to apply and to work with us, but also, you know, really to kind of provide some thought leadership for the wider Bitcoin ecosystem. Bitcoin has always been, it's always struggled with competing narratives. You know, we are pragmatists. And so I think 
I'm really happy with the paper. I think it's a very balanced paper, a very balanced thesis. So maybe let's get into the opportunity. So as I said, lots of interesting things been happening uh, in the last 12, 18 months. What, firstly, how do you frame the kind of opportunity uh, in Bitcoin and, and why now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think maybe I'll first tackle the why now and then I'll move on to scoping out the opportunity, which is also very important. Maybe why now is anyone who's been paying remotely close attention to the Bitcoin ecosystem has noticed that we've been blessed with loads of innovation in 2023. I think we kicked the year off with Ordinals inscriptions and then later BRC20s. So very much like asset issuance like protocols or, or structured, if I may. So from now on, you have an easy ability to issue fungible and non-fungible tokens uh, on the native uh, Bitcoin network. That's one. And then as uh, I feel like developers very much came back and gravitated back towards the ecosystem in excitement, we also saw a lot of founders at that specific time pulling back into Bitcoin. We just get ourselves a very interesting flywheel and, and a network effect, which we believe, and we've seen this uh, loads of times across different ecosystems, is just a perfect cradle of opportunity for innovation to be sparked. So we get in, we'll get into details more later around like this specific innovation, but in terms of the opportunity, how we look at it is reality is that 50% or even more, I, I checked it this morning, 52.3% of the total digital asset market cap is currently Bitcoin. And this is going up as a result of, of, of the market conditions. So you're looking at a $500 billion denominated market cap for Bitcoin by itself. And we did an analysis and we looked at how many of these assets is actively being utilized within the ecosystem. And we saw that 99% of Bitcoin is currently being hodled. So it's not actively used within decentralized applications. And we believe this is a massive untapped opportunity within digital assets. We argue that it's arguably one of the largest, maybe alongside real world assets, but this is is a massive opportunity. Even if you get, if you activate an incremental 1% of Bitcoin, you're looking at a doubling of the total addressable market. So it's massive opportunity. There's loads of sleeper capital. So bringing utility onto the Bitcoin network is just a massive opportunity, we think. Yeah, and it's always interesting, isn't it? That you kind of have these cycles and kind of Bitcoin dominance is a kind of big driver now for at least attention. And I think, you know, the question is, is that then translating to developer activity? Obviously, Ethereum has kind of dominated DApps developer activity, you know, for the last several years. But there is a sense now, because of various innovations happening at this kind of meta layers, that more is possible. And uh, there's an increasing amount of infrastructure and middleware coming through that, that's kind of making making that possible. So you referenced earlier that the Bitcoin flywheel. Could you maybe kind of give us the high level summary? on that and how it works. Yeah, exactly, thanks. And it is a very critical part of our thesis, which served as a basis for our Bitcoin Basecamp, the upcoming Basecamp we're doing in Q1 of next year. So to illustrate our thoughts around the Bitcoin flywheel, we came up with an infographic. So on the right-hand side, we have scalability. On the left-hand side, we have the composability of the network. Let's start with scalability. So we have breakthroughs in scalability, allowing users to settle transactions on the blockchain at a lower cost. This drives the Bitcoin adoption, but then in turn, new and increasing numbers of users 
are pushing the requirements for scalability, so actually are driving the requirement for new innovations on the scalability. So it's it's a self-fulfilling flywheel on the right side for scalability. Looking at the left side, composability actually drives the ability for founders, builders to create new applications with the new found building blocks as a result of innovation of composability. So we have new applications coming online and that actually drives Bitcoin adoption because under underserved users are now seeing applications which they can use where previously they weren't considering using Bitcoin because there was nothing useful for them. So they come online, Bitcoin adoption again. And the interesting thing is as Bitcoin adoption grows, the consensus around governance and the expectation around composability is also changing. So as a result, the composability or the requirement for composability also shifts as more users come onto the Bitcoin network. So, I mean, that feels, at least to me, fairly uncontroversial. I know the minute that you start talking about governance, that starts to kind of create this 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 kind of revisiting of old narratives. But I think ultimately, if we all subscribe to this idea that, you know, Bitcoin is around financial inclusion uh, and we want this to reach as many people as possible wherever they are in the world and their day-to-day lives, day-to-day usage, then you, you kind of need that scalability and composability. So really what we're talking about here is an evolution of the Bitcoin network and presumably the driver being that kind of financial inclusion. Yep. So uh, there's a couple of things there maybe we drill down into. So let, let's kind of go into scalability first. So you mentioned there's kind of in the paper there's three elements to it as I understand it, right? You kind of have this increased workload in the mempools. You then have side chains and then you have uh, Lightning Network, you know, primarily. You mentioned layer twos and side chains earlier. C- could you maybe just explain the, the difference in the context of the Bitcoin network and examples of that? Bitcoin's a slightly different beast. If you look at traditional ecosystems, for example, Ethereum, we always looked at L2s and sidechains and we had very set definitions of what actually makes a sidechain and what actually makes an L2. In Bitcoin, this is slightly different. There's Some are debated. I would say the, the purest and arguably like only large L2 at this stage is the Lightning Network. Everything else is a sidechain. And again, I'm very mindful of categorization because there's there's obviously like slight difference there. So if you look at the big ones where TVL sits within uh, the space, so Lightning Network obviously is the biggest L2. It's very much still medium of exchange that is happening there. And then on the side chains, the biggest ones are Stack, Rootstock and Liquid, all of them quite similar in a way. There's also innovation happening on composability and scalability with them in 2023. So these are, I, I would say, like the four horsemen which traditionally command the most TVL. More recently, you're seeing, I think a lot of developers are excited about this as well, but you're seeing more decentralized, like two-way DPEG decentralized sidechains coming. Uh, one of them, which was highly discussed last month, was DriveChains, BIP 300, 301. It's like a six-year and four-year respectively old proposal, which all of a sudden got a lot of uh, media hype as well. So a lot of people are excited there. The downside is it requires a soft work of the network, so slightly difficult. Another one uh, is spider chains. Again, like there's slightly more decentralized ways of 
pegging your Bitcoin native assets in and out of these sidechains, which is very important because decentralization is, is a big element of, of, of why builders choose the Bitcoin network. Um, and then if we look at composability, so obviously, you know, I think Ethereum has hopefully explained or demonstrated the potential of composability, both in the context of DeFi applications, but then also if you're looking at non-fungible assets, you know, how that might extend into social gaming. And then, of course, the interplay between those two things, something we call MetaFi, but, you know, um, you could just also book it within, within DeFi. But ultimately, without composability, these things just aren't possible, right? As you say, it, you're kind of still limited to this medium of exchange. So could you maybe talk through some of the innovations we're seeing in a Bitcoin network that are allowing for these new forms of composability? Yeah, no, definitely. And maybe I'll, I'll make a, a quick side note on the narrative that has um, surrounded Bitcoin since 2019. So initially, it was very much medium of exchange. And then I feel like in 2016, 2017, we moved more towards the store of value. And especially now, as we see like inflation coming in, cost of living, it's taking on this 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 form of like gold 2.0, especially as we have like spot ETFs in the, in the wings waiting to potentially be approved. So that, that is the original narrative. But we think in 2023, a lot of it is changing. And those narratives are not mutually exclusive. So it still remains the store of value. That's perfectly fine. But we think there's another narrative of building innovation on top and allowing these Bitcoin native assets to be to be utilized in applications, which we see in the likes of Ethereum, like DeFi, GameFi, and overall, just like even in community and social, like Bitcoin can actually be activated. Some of the innovation that's happening, again, like ordinals and inscriptions were very big ones. But then more recently, I think even this week, we have Taproot assets being launched on the Lightning Network. We also have Stack coming out with their Nakamoto upgrades. So um, the, the SBTC is coming live. So you're looking at like wrapped Bitcoin now being activated on, on the Stack's sidechain. So there's loads of new building blocks which founders can be can play around with. And that's also what we're seeing in our conversations with founders. Founders are very excited about it and they actually can't wait to get their hands on it. So what are the learnings that we can take from watching how the Ethereum networks evolved, various things have or haven't played out or stalled or, or, or made progress? And to what extent do we think that that will be just replicated on the Bitcoin network versus some kind of alternative path or derivative? Yeah, it's it's something very interesting, which we also um, elaborated on in, 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 the, in the paper. We draw a pretty strong analogy between what happened on Ethereum seven, eight, nine years ago and what's currently happening on the Bitcoin network. So we looked at two very distinct verticals. First, we looked at decentralized finance and then we looked at NFTs. Maybe if I just uncover, I'll start with DeFi, but I'll uncover this one first, is the idea of smart contracts actually like happened in, I think, 2008, uh, 2013, 2014. But then the real kicker and the catalyst happened when we saw the first smart contract being deployed on the Ethereum network late 2015. Then we saw a period of a lot of tinkering, a lot of founders being excited about smart contract capabilities. And you saw some initial innovation like Ether Delta in 2016, but it took a solid two to three years of real acceleration of these companies to then spawn, and we then, in 2000, end of 2017, we saw MakerDAO coming live, 
And then in 2018, we had Uniswap and Compound launching their mainnet. So it took two to three years from the catalyst to for us to see like the blue chip first wave of innovation. And we went from programmable finance in like 2017, 2018 to something which we now call DeFi. So it, there's very much this, this maturing of, of the network as a result of composability. On NFTs, something similar happens. So obviously NFTs were thought about like the colored coins on Bitcoin. And then there was also some NFT minting using ERC-20 on the Ethereum network. Like CryptoKitties did it with, they ended up crashing the network. So it, it, it was a mixed bag of success. But then as of the launch of ERC-721, we saw again like two years of real acceleration of companies leading into 2021 with launches of massive NFT projects like then ultimately leading into the NFT boom. So again, prime example of how composability was a catalyst, two, three years hiatus of like a pure acceleration. On the surface, you couldn't see anything, but founders and builders were really, really grinding very hard. Then ultimately to see like blue chips coming online. And we draw the analogy between what we're currently seeing is it's not only ordinals, it's not only BRC20, because we actually don't know which asset issuance protocol will be preferred but we draw the analogy and we say like there is a demand to asset issuance to, to issue assets on on bitcoin there is scalability which is now available for users now is the time to really accelerate and then in two to three years from now we'll we'll properly see like these these blue chips coming online so i mean obviously you know if you look at bitcoin there's always been this intense focus on security and we've looked at Ethereum and how that network's evolved now in, in kind of, you know, ETH2. Do these things coexist? And if so, how? And, you know, do you think there'll be a bias to particular networks for particular use cases, applications? Yeah, it's, it's a super interesting question because a lot of people initially asked us, like, why would someone move on to Bitcoin if a lot of the composability and scalability is still being built? But the reality is, we think Bitcoin has a very unique value proposition and we break it down into three key reasons. The first, so it's it's network effects. It is the fact that corporates and, ins and institutional investors hold large amounts of Bitcoin. And number three is actually that it sits unique on the Bitcoin trilemma. But if I dive into the network effects first, I think this is the most important one. We alluded to it earlier, 50% of the total digital asset market cap consists of Bitcoin. So for any founder or builder wishing to tap into an existing network effect, this is the opportunity. Because there's like fundamentally all blockchain and Web3 projects rely on network effects and cold start problems like we see it on a day to day basis. Cold start problems are notoriously hard to kickstart. So you actually have the largest potential user base at your fingertips by building on Bitcoin. So the network effect is really critical. The second point is corporate and institutional adoption. We looked at what's currently sitting on balance sheets with corporates and on balance with institutionals. 5% of all Bitcoin is currently sitting with institutional investors. And the expectation is that this doubles to 10%. So we would see another 30 billion of inflow once spot ETFs get approved. So you're looking at potential future 10% of all BTC that is sitting within institutional investors who historically have always tried to maximize their asset utility. So if we can bring some kind of utility, maybe institutional grade DeFi, 
to these institutions, I think they would be very happy to earn an additional two, three, four, five percent of yields on their assets. And same goes for companies. They're all about asset utilization. That's the second point. And then finally, it is about the blockchain trilemma. So you have scalability, decentralization, and throughputs. While a lot of existing L1s are sitting on security and throughputs, Bitcoin is very much security and decentralization. So we would argue that it's the highest integrity blockchain out there. It's also the oldest. It's it's battle tested. So by building scalability solutions on top, you actually leverage something which is, is very unique. And so maybe we'll get into some of the different use cases that we're hoping to see applied to the accelerator program. Of course, we can never predict. I mean, that's the, the beauty of what we do is that you're constantly surprised by uh, the kind of forms of innovation that are happening by all the brilliant kind of founders and entrepreneurs out there. At the same time, there are things that the paper highlights uh, as areas that we know need to be developed for us, for, for more builders to come into the space. And we've seen this, as I said, multiple times with the protocols that we've worked with when building out the ecosystem. There's just a lot of infra and middleware that needs to be put in place um, before, you know, the average developer a developer can, can begin to use this stuff. Um, and then equally, as you move into kind of more uh, direct consumer use cases, there's lots of other kind of considerations coming through. So maybe you could just talk through some of the key things that we would like to see if you're working on this uh, in, in the Bitcoin network and um, the things that we'd like to see, then we want you to apply. Yeah, very much. I think it's it's a very interesting question. And we're now starting to speak with a, a lot of founders in, in across different pockets and we see overall excitement. So we've actually divided it up in, in four key segments. So we have DeFi solutions, we have infrastructure, then we have decentralized applications, leveraging asset issuance. And finally, which is unique to Bitcoin, we have mining and mining infrastructure and the sustainability that is tied to all of that. If I maybe dive a little bit deeper into DeFi first, uh, we're looking to build out DeFi and again to the point of activating 99% of Bitcoin, which is just sleeping in wallets onto an existing like DeFi ecosystem. Ideally, this is Bitcoin native because there's already existing solutions where you port wrap BTC into the Ethereum ecosystem, but we've seen this is just too much friction for existing Bitcoin holders, especially if you look at like institutional grade and, and corporate grade solutions. So existing DeFi ecosystem on top of the Bitcoin network is, is one. Second is the infrastructure and, and, and you, you already alluded to, there's still a lot of user friction. If you want to adopt, if you want to onboard the next hundred million or let's be ambitious, the next billion users here, we, we need a lower friction. We need uh, this to be more user-friendly. There's an element of UX, UI to it, so abstraction, but there's also still on and off-ramp solutions, which is still a, a major issue for a lot of users and, and like a critical point. There's wallet solutions. There's even novel things which actually don't exist in, in, in like Ethereum or other L1s that are just very niche to, to Bitcoin. For example, they're working with UTXOs. It's a completely different way of accounting for current asset positions. So all these type of solutions need to be built out in order to lower user friction. Then um, we have the, the dApps leveraging the asset issuance. I'm personally quite excited about, again, like I think 
this is a very hard catalyst. We don't know if it will be BRC20. We even had like a runes proposition. There's other like taproot assets now on, on, on the Lightning network. So asset issuance either on the main chain or on side chains is something we're very excited about. Because then again, we go into community, game fi, like the broader type of applications beyond DeFi actually become available to builders through these asset issuance. And we've seen there's a very strong appetite so far for like BRC20. What we conclude is there's just, there is a strong appetite for asset issuance. We don't know which one, but like there's, there's definitely something there, I think. And then finally, Bitcoin specific, it is already slightly more mature because it doesn't necessarily rely upon the composability breakthrough, which we've discussed earlier, but it's about the consensus mechanism and the sustainability around this. So it ties into the infrastructure, but this is very specific into solutions that optimize existing proof of work mechanisms. So some of them can be around sustainability. Uh, reality is like compute is location agnostic. Could we move proof of work consensus like validation infrastructure onto other settings, maybe solar panels on like fracking rigs for, for from like big major oil companies. There's loads of stuff happening there. This is Bitcoin specific, but it's also it's it's also pockets we're excited about. I think there's another one as well, isn't there, around EVM compatibility bridges and and so not building in isolation, but actually thinking about Bitcoin as part of the overall Web three stack. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's we've seen some some specific solutions levering, leveraging DLC bridges or other like Bitcoin specific solutions, but allowing a de fully decentralized way to bridge Bitcoin assets into other ecosystems and tap into like the existing dApps there is also very powerful. And it's it's something we're seeing like builders who have previous experience in other ecosystems being very excited about, like moving back onto uh, Bitcoin to really like just open the floodgates onto other ecosystems. So look, I mean, everybody that I know in Web3 and crypto is here because of Bitcoin. I think most founders, entrepreneurs would love to have been able to or would love to now build on the Bitcoin network. But historically, it's just not been possible. And therefore, we've not been able to realize this kind of true potential and mission um, of Bitcoin and of Web3. So why now? Yeah, I think this is a great question. I think we're finally at a point in time where the composability and the scalability have come online for us to allow users, builders and innovators to flock back to the Bitcoin main chain and side layers to build something innovative to allow, and we touched upon it earlier, the activation of 99% of Bitcoin assets, which are currently remaining dormant. And we offer an alternative over hodling we also allow financial inclusion and also unlock the social aspects tied to Bitcoin, holding Bitcoin and the Bitcoin ecosystem. So applications are already open and I think we'll go all the way through until pretty much the, the last day of December. Program will start um, beginning of January uh, 2024 and will run for 12 weeks. There will also be $100,000 worth of uh, investment that goes into each team. Um, you've obviously been out there after the launch of the paper, you've been speaking with developers within the different sub-ecosystems of, of Bitcoin, but then also more generally Web3 developers who, as you say, are thinking about coming back to the, the, the Bitcoin network, which for many of them was the genesis of their journey into the space. Could you maybe just talk about that kind of focus? Because I think 
you know, one of the challenges with investing in this space, but it's the same for the other side of the table, that those building is timing. So you might be very enthusiastic about Bitcoin and building on the Bitcoin network, but the reality is, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to build a business effectively, and you're trying to manage the risks and trade-offs that come with with being a Web3 founder. And one of them is the technical risk. And so, you know, we see, see it time and time again where, a founder wants to execute on a particular use case, and then they realize that they've got to build all these other things in the stack to do it. And they end up becoming an infrastructure and a middleware company by, by accident, because just by virtue of solving their own problems. So could you maybe just talk about, I guess, the level of appetite that you're seeing from Web3 founders generally, some of the some of the kind of considerations that are perhaps stopping them coming into the space? Because yeah. I think that can feed into perhaps some of the solutions that we actually want to see built as well. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And and again, like as you as you mentioned, like we had a, a healthy level of conversations with developers and, and builders. If I if you look at the developer stats, which we track quite closely, 5% of all Web3 developers is currently committed to Bitcoin. These, these have been very diehard because they're operating with a very low level type of codes. So the idea it has currently been like everything is possible on Bitcoin. If you try hard enough with a very low level of code, it's actually not super accessible to many. And that's where we're very excited because if you compare this with Ethereum, which is 20% of all developers, there's more versatility. It's a very diverse ecosystem and they have access to like higher degree level of, 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 of operational codes. So it's, it's the hurdle and the barrier of entry is actually significantly lower. And we believe that this, all this excitement will also allow like SDKs to be developed to just create a little bit of higher level of code, which allows people who are not necessarily like your typical CTO profile to also embark upon a journey of entrepreneurship on the Bitcoin network, right? So, so far it's been a little bit of a hurdle. We see this coming away and we think the developer ecosystem will become very versatile as a result of um, the breakthroughs. And some of the prime examples here is like, obviously we've seen Ordinals inscriptions in January, February, then we saw BRC20. Last week we had uh, BitVM. So there's, there's loads of stuff that's now being proposed without actually touching the very low level code of the, of the network. And this only nets like the developers with an appetite to come on. So barriers of entry, I think, are, are coming down. Yeah, and that's one of the, the great things about composability is you see it really catalyze, right? Because once a problem's solved, it's solved for everybody. Now, of course, you might have different alternatives to, to, to that solution. Again, they can just be plugged and played. And then very quickly, more and more is possible. And, and that ecosystem catalyzes. We've seen it time and time again, both within Ethereum, but across some other ecosystems as well. So look, we're, we're super, I'm super excited. I know we're super excited about this program. We're excited about what's happening in uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem. And look, one of the reasons why you might want to think about joining Outlier and in particular our Accelerator program is because of some of the things that we were just touching upon. You know, we, we, by virtue of having lots of conversations with founders, both in terms of seeing the number of applications that we get proactively going out across various ecosystems, seeing that the problems, uh, what problems are being solved or encountered, where particular founders are getting traction. But then equally, once they're in the program, you know, working um, with a handful of founders and really seeing the 
the possibility of what can be executed on now, what workarounds are having to to be made, and again, where you're seeing traction and and funding happen, means that we can really synthesize that and help, help founders make hard decisions, right? So I always talk about this very often, being a Web3 founder's really hard order of magnitude harder than an early stage a typical early stage founder because you have regulatory risk you have technical risk we alluded to some of it earlier um you have business model risk and so trying to navigate all of those things whilst just trying to build a business is 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 overwhelming for many and i think our commitment to the space commitment to bitcoin um where we hope to run many of these programs really allows us to learn institutionally and then to kind of share that 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 learning with uh, founders for them to kind of, you know, use in a particularly, in, uh, open up an entirely new use case, for example. So I, I would highly recommend you go away and, and read Jasper's paper. As I said, um, he kind of really leveraged uh, the, the network that we have, but also some of the brilliant minds that we have within Outlier. The program has already started recruitment for applications all the way through until Christmas. So pretty much the last day of December. It will start in January, will run for uh, several weeks, and we will be giving up to $100,000 worth of uh, initial investment. But really, it's that knowledge and expertise at Outlier. I think we're about 75 full-time staff members now, many of which have been working with Web3 founders for for several years. But it's also the partners that we bring in. And I know you're actively out at the moment kind of confirming who the partners will be for this first program. I know we've already announced some of the mentors, some of the OGs of the Bitcoin space, but then also perhaps people who are slightly less high profile, but have real hands-on experience of building and, and, and solving contributing to to what bitcoins um, become so if you are interested go to outlierventures.io you can find the application page for any of the programs we're running i think we're running three programs at the moment one is for cross chain with wormhole one is for futureverse which is our continued efforts to grow and build the open metaverse and then the third one now is this dedicated program for bitcoin So thanks for coming on the show, Jasper. Great to talk through the paper with you. As I said, I think you're going to be an increasing guest on the show as you help me, an outlier, navigate an increasingly complex Web3. But really, really very impressed with the paper. A great, great first innings. Thank you very much, Jamie. Again, hopefully this is the first of many. I'm very happy to be on and and hopefully until, until the next one. enjoyed today's podcast please make sure you subscribe rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of web3